Join me tonight in Acts chapter 16, would you please? Acts chapter 16, I leaned over to Brother Tyler and I said I forgot to charge my iPad. So I'm going to preach till I'm done or until it's done. One or the other. You can pray either way. <laughs> it, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, you just pray as the Lord leads you to pray. Um, church, uh, speaking of praying in all seriousness, uh, remember to pray for Brother Monty and, uh, and Levana and Colton and Olivia in uh, the passing of his dear wife, Joy. Um, funeral services will be here on uh, Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And, uh, you know, I think of a lot of things in this church, a lot of bus ministry things that I could ask the question, where would we be without Brother Monty's faithfulness to visit and to drive and to work? And um, so faithful, him and Joy and their family in this church. Brother Monty, how long you been here? A long time. A long time. Were you, were you here when I started coming in 1976? All right, so he beat me here. And uh, those of you who have been out, around here any time at all, if Brother Monty hasn't sh uh, shaken your hand yet, it's just because he hadn't seen you somewhere. And uh, Brother Monty is uh, uh, one of a kind. He's a, he's a man of God, one of our deacons. And Joy was a faithful, faithful servant of the Lord here. And looking forward to honoring her life on the Wednesday uh, here in the auditorium at 2 o'clock. And then, some of you may not know, Sherry Bickerstaff is in the hospital. Uh, she's diabetic, and she got an infection in one of her toes, and so they had to amputate um, her toe this week. And uh, so, uh, please, Saturday morning, as a matter of fact. So please remember to pray for her. Uh, also, Gwen Dunham is still uh, trying to heal from the surgery. Uh, she fell and broke her ankle and uh, still trying to heal from, from that. And can you pray for Karen Downs? Good to see Karen here again this morning and to praise the Lord for her progress. So continue to pray for her as well. Acts chapter 16 tonight. It's, it's been um, a few weeks since Brother Tyler preached from the closing verses of Acts chapter 15. I preached on the opening verses last Sunday night or Sunday night before last. Brother Tyler had previously preached from the closing verses of Acts chapter 15. And so let me just remind you a little bit of what had taken place. Um, at the beginning of Acts chapter 16, we've got what's called the Jerusalem Council, and uh, we've got some uh, legalistic Jews who um, were trying to say that uh, these Gentiles that were getting saved, uh, that if they really wanted to be saved, that they were also going to have to uh, keep the law by being circumcised. And so there was, this, uh, there was this huge uproar. Paul and Barnabas eventually went up to Jerusalem. Uh, the Bible says that there was no small dissension um, that it was pretty much a, a knockdown, drag out. Paul was standing his ground that salvation is by grace through faith and not of the law in any way, shape, or form. And uh, so that was the uh, opening verses there. And after that, Paul suggested to Barnabas that they go back to those churches 
uh, where they had previously ministered and preached the gospel and people had gotten saved just to uh, kind of see how things were going. They, they wanted to check up on the churches there. And uh, so Barnabas agreed to that. Uh, and he determined, the Bible says in verse 57 of uh, Acts chapter, or, or 37 of Acts chapter 15, that, that uh, Barnabas uh, determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now you remember, uh, we've already studied that portion of Scripture where Mark, or John Mark, as he's known, had quit uh, on Paul and Barnabas. Right in the middle of their missionary journey, he quit. He gave up, and he went home. And uh, for that reason, Paul didn't think it was a, a good idea to take him along with them on this return to these churches. And yet Barnabas stood, stood his ground. He disagreed in the contention, it says, in verse 39, was so sharp between them. We're talking about two brothers in the Lord, two men who had ministered very, very closely with each other and had traveled and been through all of these things together, that there's such a dissension among them now on this issue of taking John Mark with them that they departed asunder, it says, one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark, and Paul, it says, took Silas, and the two of them, Paul and Silas, headed northward to Syria and to Cilicia. So that brings us to Acts chapter 16. And if you're there, say amen. All right, verse 1. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. We know him today as Timothy. The son of a certain woman, now watch this, which was a Jewess, and believed, in other words, she was a saved Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek, or he was a, a Gentile, he was non-Jewish. And verse 2 says that, that everybody knew this, it was well reported by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So this, this was no secret that Timothy had a saved mother, but a lost father. Him, Timothy, would Paul have to go forth with him, that would be with him and Silas, and he took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all, or all of them knew, that his father was a Greek. Now let me stop there, and I don't want to spend a lot of time here tonight, because this is not the message. But there may now be some confusion among you, because I just told you that Paul had gone up and had fought tooth and, and toenail, whatever that means, my parents used to say that, I have no idea what that means, tooth and toenail. Somebody find out and text me, would you? But Paul had gone up and he had fought vigorously to defend the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith that circumcision was not a part of salvation. And now we read where he's having Timothy circumcised. And so the question arises, what's up with that? 
Well, I'll tell you what's not up with that. He did not have him circumcised in order to be saved. It's not that Paul thought that because he had a Gentile father and a Jewish mother that somehow he had not come to faith in Christ. That's not what this is about. He didn't have him circumcised in order to be saved. That would have made absolutely no sense. I mean, again, Paul had just fought so hard against that kind of legalistic approach to salvation. Paul did, or he did what he did. He had Timothy circumcised for the reason that our text states, because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And so Paul decided, in Timothy's case, simply based on his work among the unsaved Jews, that it would be best to legitimize Timothy's status by making him holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy or completely or totally Jewish. You with me? He was half Gentile and half Jew. And so Paul, because he was going to minister to full blood, died in the wool, born Jewish people, and they were lost, and they needed to be saved, he thought that Timothy, being half Jewish and half Gentile, would cause a stumbling block and would put, perhaps put up a wall between him and, and those lost Jews. And so Paul thought it best to have Timothy circumcised. Because here's the deal, the Gentiles would accept a missionary who was, who was all Jewish. They wouldn't have an issue with that. But the Jews would have a struggle accepting a missionary who was half, Jew, who was half Gentile. Does that make sense? I mean, the Gentiles, it wouldn't matter to them that somebody was totally Jewish. Big deal, no matter. But the Jews, eh, that's a different story. And Paul knew that. Paul was a Jew. And he knew how they thought and he knew how they felt. And so Paul uh, came to the conclusion it would be best to do what he did. I think John MacArthur points out a good missions principle here when he writes, missionaries must be sensitive to the unique characteristics of the cultures in which they work. As Paul did in circumcising Timothy, they should avoid giving any unnecessary offense. And so that's the whole idea behind uh, Timothy being circumcised as it states there in verse 3. Now let's go on verse 4. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. You can go back to chapter 15 and verse 20 and find out what those things are. They said, okay, that's fine. Uh, we'll not, we don't have to, we don't, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. But there are some things that we think they ought to do, not, not in order to be saved, but because they are saved, some things that they ought to do, they ought to abstain from idols and, and uh, so on and so forth. You can read those three things there in, in the verse 20 of uh, chapter 15. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, 
After they were come to uh, Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him or begged him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And Paul's seeing this in a vision that God had given him. This man, he's in Macedonia, and he's saying, Hey, come help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we... Now let me stop right there. That's the first time that Luke, who is the author of Acts, that's the first time that he gives any indication that he's with Paul. We. We who? We. The, he's including the author of the book. So now it's Paul, and it's Silas, and it's Timothy, and Luke has been, been with him for a while probably, but, but he's talking here, uh, and he's including himself. He said, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering, mark that, we'll come back to it, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Tonight I want to preach to you on how to know God's will. And I've done it, I'll do it under this title, DUI, Deciding Under the Influence. So you're going to be able to go home tonight and say, you'll never, you'll never believe this. I got a DUI tonight. Deciding Under the Influence. Robert Frost, in his famous poem, The Road Less Taken, says this, two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Throughout our entire lives, we make choices. But then those choices turn around, and they end up making us. What we are today is the sum total of the choices that we have made over the course of our lives, however long that course may be at this point. You are who you are because you said yes to this and you said no to that and you've made all kinds of choices just like that all through your life. Again, what you are and who you are and the kind of person you are has been determined by the decisions that you've made. Now, that being the case, I think you would agree with me tonight that there is nothing more important than for you to know how to make good decisions. How to make good choices. How to know, what does God want me to do with this or with that? You remember that when Paul then then called Saul, was on the road to Damascus. He was brought to his knees by this bright and, and shining light. And he heard the voice of the Lord, and he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And if you remember, Paul responded to that by asking two questions. The first question he asked was, Who art thou, Lord? 
And the second question he asked was this, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That second question rings across the centuries in a thousand variations. Should I get married? Should I stay single? Whoever said that, I'm already married. Thank you. Somebody thinks their pastor ought to get married. All right, let's go again. If you're wondering whose kid that was, it's the parents who are the most embarrassed right now. Should I buy that house? Should I buy that car? Should I buy that land? Should I buy that building? Should I accept that job offer? Should I take that promotion? Should I move there or should I stay here? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? There is no question more basic or more critical to the people of God than that question. Lord, what is your will for my life? Lord, I don't want to make a mistake here. If you'll speak, I'll listen. Tell me, Lord, what do you want me to do? And there are several factors that are key in discovering God's will for your life. But perhaps none of them are as, are as important as what we will call guidability. Yes, I know that that wasn't a word until two seconds ago. But it is a word now, at least for this message. The word is guidability. That is the ability to receive guidance from God. It's an attitude on the inside which is open to the Lord's leading through the Holy Spirit. Thus the title, Deciding Under the Influence. Note that Paul and the others were forbidden of the Holy Ghost in verse 7 and that the Spirit suffered them not in verse 7. That's being guidable. When they want to go here and the Spirit says no, so they don't go, that's being guidable. I mean, they were like Plato in the hands of God. When's the last time you played with Plato? I'm guessing for some of you, it was a long time ago. But Plato's fun, come on. Huh? Wake up, stay with me. Play-Doh, come on now, Play-Doh is fun, especially when it's new, and it's soft, and it's pliable, and it's usable. I mean, you can do a lot of things with Play-Doh, right? You can do a lot of stuff with Play-Doh. You can, like, make a, a baseball. You're going to need both your hands there, sister. You put that Bible down. I just wanted to give you fair warning, okay? I didn't want to hit you in the face with this. Get all tangled up in your braces and stuff. Well, you don't have braces anymore, do you? <laughs> she went. 
So you can play, you can make it like a baseball with this. You throw it. <laughs> you catch like a girl. Let's try that again. Oh! All right, it's on now, sister. Move, Chris. There you go. See, you can make it into a baseball. That's enough. You can, you can make it into a pancake as long as it's soft and pliable and usable. I mean, you can make it into a hamburger patty. You can make it into a pancake. I mean, come on, back in the day, I mean, you could even, you even roll it up and make a cigar. You can do a lot of stuff with Play-Doh. Play-Doh is fun. You can, you can do with it what you want. But what happens when that Play-Doh, you leave the lid off for a few days, and uh, what happens at that point? It dries up, and it gets hard. Sid won't mind this, I don't think. Dries up and it gets hard, and you try to—I mean, you try to roll it up. It, it it just doesn't work because it's not soft, it's not pliable, and it's no longer usable. And sadly, tonight there are a lot of Christians who are like that. They're unusable. They're unmoldable because they have their own plan. And they have their own ideas. And they have their own agendas. And to be honest with you, they're just not really open to be led in any other way. And sadly, that makes them unusable. That's why guidability is so important. Let me, let me give you some examples real quick of guidable people in the Bible. Young Samuel, if you remember, said this, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth guidability. David said, Teach me thy way, O Lord, guidability. Isaiah said, Here am I, Lord, send me guidability. Again, Saul on the road to Damascus said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Guidability. Now, there's something that we learn from these men who were guidable, and it's this. Guidable people always receive guidance from God. Let me say it again. Guidable people always receive guidance from God. Now, God may choose to guide us in one of several ways. He may guide us through a sermon. He may guide us through a scripture in our devotion time. He may guide us through the advice of a spiritual leader or a trusted friend. He may guide us through what we would call an inner peace. He may guide us um, by open and or closed doors. Or he may choose to guide us in a way that I didn't even list. Or he may choose to guide us every single way that I just listed. He can do what he wants to do. He's God. 
It's up to me and you to be guidable. And once we're guidable, then God can guide us. Does that make sense? All right, let's get to our text tonight. I would submit to you that, that we see at least three major ways in which God guides those who are guidable. And understand this tonight. There was a lot riding on Paul's ability to discern God's will for him and his partners. You say, well, well Pastor, what, what was riding on it? Um, our salvation. Where Paul, where God sent Paul was to the continent of Europe. Had Paul not gone to Europe and started spreading the gospel there, chances are we wouldn't even be saved tonight. So there was a lot riding on Paul getting this right. Paul and, and Timothy and Silas being soft and pliable and guidable. Here's the first way God reveals his will to us. He does it through obedience in the ordinary. Obedience in the ordinary. Paul had one mission in life, and that was to preach the gospel. I mean, how many times have we already read in the chapters following Acts chapter 9, when he got saved, how many times have we already read about him preaching? Many, many, many times. I'm telling you, preaching was his life every single day. So Paul knew what he was going to do, and he knew how he was going to do it. The guidance that he needed had to do with where. God, where do you want me to preach? He had an idea. He had a desire. He had a plan. He had something in his heart. And when he set out in that direction, the Holy Spirit or God, through the Holy Spirit, we just read it, redirected him. But here's the point. God had called Paul to preach. And that's what he was obedient to do. And it was in the midst of his ordinary obedience that God chose to give him more specific direction. Church, listen to me tonight. The first step in discovering God's unknown will is doing his known will. Some of you got that, some of you probably didn't. The first step in discovering God's unknown will is by doing his known will. The way you find out God's will for the future is by doing what you know he wants you to do now. Preacher, what are you talking about? I'm talking about things that we know. We've been in church long enough. We've heard enough uh, sermons. We've been taught enough Bible. We know that there are some things that is God's will for every single one of us here tonight. It's God's will for my life, and it's God's will for your life. And if we want to find anything beyond that, we're going to struggle if we're not doing the things that we know are right. Things like spending time with him every day, being in his word, praying, having a private time, having a quiet time. That's God's will 
for every one of us tonight. Being faithful to his house is God's will for my life, and it's God's will for your life. Giving is God's will. Serving is God's will. Husbands, loving our wives, that's God's will. Wives, respecting your husbands, that's God's will. Children, obeying your parents, honoring your parents, that's God's will. Being a responsible employee, that's God's will. Being a fair employer, that's God's will. Yeah, but... but, but. But pastor, that's, that's so simple and that's so elementary and, and I believe God's will for my life is far more than that. And it might be. But I'll promise you this tonight, it's no less than that. It's no less than that. Maybe you're like, oh God, what do you want me to do? You might find this is the answer. Well, I want you to do what you know is right. And once you get that down then maybe we can talk a little further about doing something else. I mean, come on, why? Think about this. This is just logic. Why would God show you his unknown will for the future if he can't even count on you to do what you know is right now? You with me? That's like pretty basic stuff. It's like you want God to show you this grand scheme for his life 10 years from now, and you can't even give him 10 minutes a day. Come on. When you know that's what he wants you to do. Yeah, you're searching for all of this stuff. Stop it. Just start doing what you know he wants you to do. You can't bypass that step. Paul was just doing what God wanted him to do. He was preaching the gospel everywhere he went. And in the midst of doing the ordinary, God showed him what else he wanted him to do. There's a second way God reveals his will in our text. He does it through suddenly changing circumstances. So Paul and his team, they wanted to go into Asia. But the Holy Spirit prevented them. Question, how did he do that? You ever wondered that? Well, how, is, was there like this big hand in the sky that said, whoa. Or did God ride it in the clouds? Stop. I mean, how, how, how did they do that? Well, here's the answer. I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't tell us. I mean, so your, your, your imagination starts working. It could have been some issue with the road. Maybe the bridge washed out. I don't know. It could have been due to some overwhelming uh, opposition. Maybe folks found out Paul was headed there, so they were gearing up for a battle and for a fight. And, 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 and uh, it could have been that the Holy Spirit communicated to them through uh, an inner impression or, or even the voice of God. We're not told. All we're told is that they knew they weren't supposed to go west. And so what did they do? They just sat down and pattern about it. They said, if we can't go west, and we just can't go anywhere. If we can't go do what we want to do, then we're just not going to do anything. That's not what they did. They said, okay, you don't want us to go west? We'll go northward. Why? Because they just they knew that God wanted them to preach the gospel to everybody. And if, if God's answer was not going west, then hey, we'll go north. That's not a problem. Same purpose. Now redirected through suddenly changing circumstances. 
But as they get up north and try to go into Bithynia, again, the Spirit says, whoa, stop. This is not where I want you to go. Yet another mystery. Again, we're not told how this happened. But somehow they knew that the Spirit was saying no. Now, I'll tell you what I think personally. And as they, as they kept praying about it and kept moving forward, I'm convinced that they got a strong impression from the Lord that they weren't supposed to go that way. I can't confirm that. I can't prove that. That's just my own personal thought. So what's going on here? God is directing Paul and the others through suddenly changing circumstances. Preacher, what do you mean, suddenly changing circumstances? Well, let me, let me put it this way. Closed doors. Is that more clear? Closed doors. You ever had that happen to you? I mean, you had your life all planned out. And you were going to go this way because you were convinced it was God's will. And then, boom, out of nowhere, the door slammed shut. And all of a sudden, eh, no, no, God shut her down. How I many of you know God has ways of doing that? God just shut it down. The phone rang, or the letter came, or the diagnosis was given. And it totally changed your course of life. The boss calls, calls you in the office, says we're downsizing the company, we're changing our priorities, and, and you just don't fit our profile anymore. You check your mail, you think you've gotten the letter that you've been waiting for, and you open it, and what you read is that you're an excellent candidate, but the incoming class is full. Or you're convinced it's the Lord that you marry this person. You're just absolutely sure that, that, that they are the one for you. And so you go and you ask them to marry you. But unfortunately, they didn't get the same message. And they say no. Suddenly changing circumstances. Closed doors happen. And when they do... I mean, let's be honest, we think something has gone wrong with the universe. I mean, somehow we think God has blinked and lost control of this thing. Something strange has happened. God has died. The world is out of control, and everything's falling apart. I'm reminded of Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Preacher, what's that mean? <coughs> it means that we can make our own plans. God's good with that. Listen, it's not like you're just going to sit around and you're going to be going, hmm, hmm. What are you doing? I'm waiting for God. Hmm. Listen, God's okay with you making plans. God's okay with you setting goals. God's okay with, with, with you having agendas. But ultimately, it's God who determines the path of your life. And by the way, if you are just, if you are, 
if you are just determined to go this way, at some point God may very well let you go that way. But it's not going to work out well for you. I mean, you can be stubborn, you can, you can be everything, but it's not going to work out well for you. Sometimes God just closes the door. You need to quit trying to kick it down. Quit trying to push through it. God has closed it. And when he does, listen to me, church, when he does, it's always, always for your good and for his glory. Here's another good verse from Proverbs. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. In other words, if you will live your life with the understanding that there is a God and that He is in control of everything and that your responsibility and my responsibility is to follow His lead, He will open and close doors as He sees fit. So when you think you need to go here, or there, or do this, or that. He'll show you otherwise until you are on the exact path that he wants you to be on. We're still together? Verse 10, here's the third one. God will show you his will through wise counsel. Verse 10, and after he had seen the vision... Immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia. I told you to mark these two words earlier. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto him. Assuredly gathering. That's one word in the Greek, and it speaks of unity. It speaks of bringing different aspects of a matter together. I might say it like this, it's taking all the facts and arriving at a logical conclusion. The word was used to speak of putting different colors of thread together to make a, a beautiful picture. You might think of assuredly gathering as putting the, the pieces of a puzzle together. You, you take one piece and you put it here and, 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 and you're conferring with you, the rest of your family. You're saying, here, this piece goes, no, I think it goes, no, I think it goes, no, I think it goes over here. And finally you find the place and you put that, that, that piece right there. And then you put another piece here and another piece there and you're all collaborating together. and You're, you're all giving each other advice and wisdom and direction. And finally you have a, a complete or at least mostly complete picture this illustration just came to mind. It's going to embarrass me to use it. At our staff retreat, Brother Tyler had this nutty idea that on Monday night we ought to go to an escape room. Well, okay, whatever. And so we go to this escape room place. How I many you know what I'm talking about? They put you in this room, you're supposed to escape. <laughs> well, we get there, 
And the guy says, well, I've got three of them. One of them is really, really simple. It's mainly for kids. The two other ones are for adults. He said, one is harder than the other. And so the guys went, we'll take the harder one. Not a problem. Girls took the easier one. I thought, all right, guys. It's going to be pretty simple. So you get in there, and you're supposed to work together. You're supposed to be assuredly gathering that this is the way out. Well, we're, we're over here. We're still trying to assuredly gather what this first clue means. Well, all of a sudden, we hear outside, Woo! Ah! And we're thinking to ourselves, is there any way maybe we could just spend the night in here and not have to go outside and face those women? Because they had assuredly gathered quicker than we had assuredly gathered. <laughs> it was bad. I mean, I can't even tell you how bad it was. It was bad. We didn't get very far. We didn't assuredly gather too well. So what do we do? Let's do it again. This time we'll switch. They assuredly gathered faster than we did again. But when you assuredly gather in a, an escape room, you're supposed to be collaborating together. And you, Well, this is, no, I think this is it. No, I, I think it's over here. No, it's over here. No, this is supposed to go like this. It's supposed to say like this. And finally, you're supposed to come together as a team and break out of there and be waiting on the women when they come out. But it didn't work that way. Thank God that Paul and Silas and Timothy assuredly gathered well. And what it means there is that they sought one another's counsel and they sought the counsel of God and, and they began putting all of the, the pieces together that they had received until they arrived at the conclusion that this is what God wanted them to do. Can I just share some verses with you real quick? Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Well, I'm just kind of my own man. I just kind of do my own thing. And I'm not, I didn't call you this, Solomon called you this, a fool. A fool. A fool says that things are right in his own eyes, but somebody that's wise is going to hearken unto wise counsel. Proverbs chapter 19, verses 20 and 21. Hear what, church? Help me. Hear what? Hear counsel. And receive what? Instruction. That thou mayest, may, mayest be wise in, the, in thy latter end. There are many devices in a man's heart. Many ideas, many thoughts, many dreams, many plans. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Proverbs 20, 18, every purpose is established by counsel, and with good advice, make war. 
In other words, just don't get ticked off and fly out here and, 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 and go to war against somebody. Seek some counsel. Get some wisdom. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. You ever done that? You ever just flown by the seat of your britches and say, yeah, this is what I'm going to do, only to meet with disappointment? But in the, mul- listen, in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Now, I'm just going to be honest and upfront with you tonight. I don't think you should ever make a major decision without seeking godly counsel from those around you. Whether it, I'm not tooting my own horn tonight, whether it's your pastor or your pastor's wife or a ministry staff person or some other godly person in your life. Well, yeah, that's all, but I got this. All right, then write down those verses of Scripture and go home and read them again. And don't tell me, I got this. Because you're going directly against the Word of God. Seek counsel from those around you. Listen, I don't know everything. There are, there are, are men and, and women who have brought things to me that I didn't know anything about. I didn't have any wisdom to give them. But listen, I can pray. Yeah, Pastor, I've been walking with the Lord a long time. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. God has put a man of God in your life. And he's put other godly men and women in your life. And you need to learn to seek their counsel. Nobody has all the answers, but we can pray. And we can seek God's wisdom, we can seek God's heart, we can seek God's mind, and we can do it objectively. Take advantage of the godly leaders and friends that God has put around you. Yeah, but I know if I, if I come and talk to you, you're just going to say no. Maybe. But I could point out a couple of men in here tonight that over the course of the last couple of years have needed to make some major decisions in their life. And they've come to me and we've prayed about it. And I can stand here tonight. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I prayed objectively. I didn't ask God to do this. didn't ask God to do that. I wanted God's will to be done. I don't always say no. I don't always say, well, that's a stupid idea. Because sometimes I don't have an idea if it's a good idea or a bad idea. I don't think about it. I remember years ago, Brother Landis told me this many times. Brother Monty was in the old business. He'd come and he'd ask Pastor to pray, uh, Pastor Landis to pray with him about certain things. And Brother Landis didn't, didn't know anything about that stuff. But he could pray. And he could seek God's counsel. And he can seek God's wisdom. Now listen, if you, if you choose not to do that, that's fine. I'm not going to get my feelings hurt about it. Doesn't matter. It's not on me. But if in the end you meet with disappointment, 
then at least go back to the Word of God and say, wow, I blew that. I blew that. You know, maybe if I would have started right, maybe this would have ended right. God's going to show you His will through wise counsel. And you read what I read. It's right there on the screen still. But in the multitude of counsel, they are established. Now let me say this, and I'll be done. Some people are like this good, this good Play-Doh. They're soft, and they're pliable, and they're usable. And they just want to do what God wants them to do. That's their heart. They, they want to do what God wants them to do. And then there are some who are like this Play-Doh. I mean, they're unusable. They're, I mean, they're, they're, you, you can't make anything out of that. It won't cooperate. It, it's hardened. And... Then there's this third group, and they're, they're like this. They're not as soft as this, but they're not as hard. Whoops. Sorry, Sid, that's the only piece. Oh, two pieces, three pieces on the floor. Sorry. But they're not as hard as this. And they would tell you, yeah, I'm, I'm open to whatever the Lord wants me to do. But the truth of the matter is, they're only open so far as what God wants them to do is what they want to do. So they're not really soft and pliable, but they're not hard. Well, yeah, I'll listen to God. I'll do what God wants me to do. As long as what God wants me to do is what I want to do. Because I have a plan. I know what I want to do. And so their prayer is really this. God, would you get on board with me? It's not, God, I want to do what you're blessing. It's, God, I want you to bless what I'm doing. Does that make sense? I just tell you, God can't show you his will until you're like this. Because you're not going to be guided. You're going to be stubborn and mule-headed and bull-headed. I, I, I'm... 60 years old and I know what I go for it bucko knock yourself out but when you meet with disappointment don't say your pastor didn't stand here on Sunday night October the 15th and told you that would happen not because I'm so smart but because God's smart God put it in his word and God can't use you and God can't use me and God will not guide us until we're like that. Let me share one more verse with you and I'll be done. It comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 37, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. What a great Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart.
Here's why I think this verse is key when it comes to God's will. Because as you delight yourself in the Lord, so preacher, what does that mean? It means that you have learned to find peace and fulfillment in Him. And until you come to that place, you're going to struggle. But when you come to that place, here's, here's what I think that verse means, is that His desires are going to become your desires. And right now, you may be, you may be running on, on parallel paths. You, you, opposite paths. But as you delight in the Lord and you learn to find peace and contentment and fulfillment in Him, all of a sudden your desires are going to start lining up with His desires. Until you learn to be content where you are, where God has you, which, by the way, may be where he wants you for the long haul. Well, I just know God has something different. You don't know that. This may be it for you. Liberal Kansas, Fellowship Baptist Church may be God's will for you. And I can tell you, there are a lot worse places. Especially if you're out of God's will. Let me start again. Until you learn to be content where you are, I'm talking about where God has you right now, He will never be able to lead you past that point. Now listen, I didn't say that you can't go beyond that point. Because you can. You can go wherever you want to go. Amen? You can do whatever you want to do. If you're going to do it outside of God's will, and most of you here tonight have been saved long enough, you understand that that's not a good place to be. It's not a safe place to be. It's not a happy place to be. It's a miserable place to be. And so delight yourself in the Lord. Accept where He has you right now. And be good with it. And then maybe, He'll show you the next step. If there is a next step, there may not be one. Let's pray.